Well, thanks for having me back. When I was, I told some of you when I was standing up here last Tuesday morning, I had a our granddaughter was born. My phone was buzzing in my pocket, so we had a granddaughter during fuel. I think, which is I don't, I'll tell her that one day. I don't know if that'll mean anything to her, but that's uh, interesting. What you're saying about love, <clears throat> because my son's wife, this one that just had the baby, is an Arab. Uh, she's Jordanian, and. Uh, it's so interesting. She's only been in the U.S. about, I guess, two years now. And um, her perspective is really interesting to me when I ask her, like, what do you think when you're walking around and who, who, do, you know, who do Americans think you are? Who, you know, when she starts talking in a Walmart or something, uh, where do you think most people think she's from? She doesn't cover, obviously. She's Christian, but she's a believer. But where do most Americans think she's from? What? Yeah, pretty much. It, every, we only know basically Mexicans. That's kind of basically how we categorize everyone. So they think she's Hispanic. She doesn't know why. <laughs> she goes, do I sound Spanish to you? And I said, not to me, but probably to most people. Yeah, why? Because it's a foreign language. That's why. That's, you're, you have an accent. That's got to be from down there somewhere. <clears throat> We're having a problem with you people. <laughs> but... Uh, so, but it's interesting, she feels like we were, I, I, the, her first church, American church experience was in um, Lynchburg, which is sort of the mecca of churches, I guess, in a way. Um, and my mom lives in Lynchburg, and my mom is an is a old-time Baptist, and so she goes to a small Baptist church down there that's, that's uh, Southern Baptist, very small, um, and I don't know, it's probably a hundred people maybe, and only one people group is represented in the church, if you know what I mean. There's no other, <clears throat> the, the demographic is not displayed there, let's put it that way. It's a very select group of people. And so she, that was her first church experience, which I'm sorry to say was her first church experience. Um, but the, the title of the sermon the Sunday we went was The Ulcer in the Bowels of God. How's that for a title? I, like, I was going to like, run now before this starts. This is going to be horrible. <clears throat> anyway, it was. It was, all about, it was all about hell, and it was depressing. And so at the end, in the end, she's, now she's, she, I mean, she looks very Arab to me, but, and she has on this giant cross because if any of you have lived or worked in the Middle East, What's unusual is when you don't identify yourself. I mean, pe- they like to know who you are. Are you a Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you Jewish? And, and everyone has some type of symbolism that shows right away this is who we are. If, if, if uh, people don't know who you are, they're suspicious of you and that sort of thing. So she always has on this giant cross. And because she's Egypt, her father's Egyptian, she has a tattoo on her hand to show that she was raised Coptic. So she's pretty well marked as a, some kind of Christian. And so this guy comes up to her in this church in Lynchburg, real nice guy, real, you know, good heart and all, and he's talking to her, and I can tell he's trying to figure out where she's from. And so I just helped him out. I said, she's Jordanian. She's, she's an Arab from, Jordi- from Jordan. She's married to my son. And he looks at her and he goes, now, are there Christians there? And she has this cry. I don't know how big it could be, you know, on her, and uh, you know, like this. And it's it, what's funny is that, that he, well, he's not looking at her. 
He's looking at his view of things, even though she's standing right in front of him. Like that. And that's how we see things. We don't see like, what is this right here? Who am I talking to right here? We see, here's my view of everything, and how do you fit into that view? And we do that to people all the time, and so we can't really experience what God wants to do right here because we won't let him in right here. Like that. <clears throat> so all of our sons flew in last night. Which it's the first time we've all been together in two years. <clears throat> so it's very little sleep, but it's been fun. And our son that's a police officer in Atlanta, he was telling me this story last night. Of he, he went to an accident scene. We were having a big discussion about purpose in our jobs and vision for the future, you know, with these little two little granddaughters there and with our daughters-in-law. And we're just all talking about the next five years and what do we think God's doing in our lives and that sort of thing. And he, he our police officer's son, gave the example of how we miss things in life. And he was telling me he was working this accident scene and he gets there and it's, you know, two cars collide in an intersection and he goes to, one's a woman, one's a guy, and he says to the woman, what happened? And she said, well, I was coming into the intersection, I had the green arrow, and so I was turning left. And he goes over, and he's like, all right. He goes over to the guy, what happened? He's coming into the intersection from the opposite direction, had the green arrow, so I made a left. Bam, you know, they hit right. And he's like, well, how can you both have the green arrow? So he watches the light cycle on one side of where the woman's talking green arrow, walks on the other side, watches the light cycle, no green arrow on that side. There's not even a signal for a green arrow. <laughs> so he's like, he writes the ticket for the guy, and the guy's like, what? And he said, well, you're not telling me the truth. You said you had a green arrow? And he goes, I did. Come look in my car. It was his blinker. <laughs> that was his green arrow. It didn't matter what was up there, who was across the road. That's my green arrow. I'm going. <clears throat> and why am I getting penalized for that? And so the point of that is, like, where's your green arrow? Is it, like, right here in your life, like this? Or is it up here somewhere with your eyes up? Like, God, where's the green arrow for me? And if you follow that one, you tend to make pretty good impacting decisions versus this is my green arrow, and I'm not looking at anything around me. I'm only going to turn when I think it's right to turn. And I turn, and I wreck, and it's a disaster. So what I do is just, I've been thinking about this week, because um, as I mentioned a little bit last week, we're in these pretty intense discussions with Israel right now um, about things that, that they would love to see happen in their country in the future, not even outside their country, just in their country in the future, and so... They know I'm a believer, and that's an element in how we talk. I mean, they're very curious about this whole thing. And um, again, I wish I could explain that in more detail. But, uh, but in these discussions, it's the same thing. It's like they're so focused like this, even in the region. Even though they know these things are going on around them, here's their strategy. It's like that, which is how most of us operate on a personal level. And it doesn't change on a family level or a country level. That's how you're focused, that, then that's how you make decisions based on me, my turn signal. I don't care what yours says. I don't care if you have the green light. I have it, and I'm taking it, like that kind of thing. And so what they asked me um, to write a proposal for them, uh, if you can believe this, a vision of, of what I would recommend for them for the future, which is Israel. 
So what's also fascinating, and I hope this is encouraging. This is how I want to encourage you this morning. We're not diplomats. Our, our team are not career diplomats. We're not statesmen or women. We're, we're people that do our job and happen to live in that region because that's where God gave us the green light to live. And so we live there. But we do there what we did here and what we did in Jordan and what we did in Iraq and what we did in Indonesia. It's never really changed. Every part of your life from the time you're born, God is using and putting together to help you lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of you. And it's unique to everyone in this room. And everyone in this room is the only one that can do what you do. When we go around recruiting people to work with us or hire people, we're looking for what we cannot do. Do you understand? We don't want people to be like us. We need people that aren't like us that can do and see things we can't see or do. And so our team is so incredibly diverse because we don't want the same kind of person. Because we go into situations and we all see it differently. And that's what we need. So the question this morning, the, the challenge this morning is, is, and I can't say this often enough, what is your identity with God? What is it? And I don't mean, I don't mean I'm a born-again child of God. That's true, but that's what everyone is that comes to faith in Christ. That's guaranteed. That's what you are. I'm talking about what are you in particular. Like if, if, if I ask people, if I'm interviewing people that are, we want to work with us, and I'll say to them, what is your identity? You can ask Bobby Ross this question. I, this, he's really good on this one. I ask him, tell me what your identity is. If I, if, if I asked 100 American evangelical Christians what their identity is, what do you think they answer? Good evangelical, strong believers. If I say, what's your identity? What do you think they say? Christian, right, or child of God, or some religious response. So if you're sitting with a secular or an anti-Christian government that wants you to do something, and they say, what is it that you, who are you? And your answer is Christian, some religious thing. Pretty much we're just joking at our table. When you name a group, you're out of every other group, basically. What are you? Are you pro-abortion or against abortion? This is how we name people and categorize people so we can dismiss people. Oh, you're not in my group. It's interesting because as a Westerner, one of our identities, not a good one, but a true one, is we're crusaders. Now, I don't say that in the terms of military. I'm saying that that's how we operate. We, we like crusades against things. We love that. We rally. For, it can, you know, it's not bad. It can be bad, but it's good. We rally against things. That's our mentality. It started... Read your, read your history, church history. It's very distinct when the crusader mentality comes alive in the West. The East never had it. They still don't. Even the Eastern church never had the crusade mentality. And that's why the East and the West church began to fight because the crusader mentality wants the non-crusader mentality to have the crusader mentality, and that becomes the crusade. And then where's the enemy? Now you're fighting your own people to get them to be on a crusade like you're on a crusade. And, so, and Satan, he loves it. Because do you know that church over there? They're not on your crusade. You know why? They're liberal. How do you know? Because they're not on our crusade. 
how do you know they're not doing what God wants them to do? Because I'm looking at what God wants me to do, my blinker, and my says turn that way and they're not turning. So they must be wrong or liberal or their doctrine's wrong or something's wrong with them. And Satan loves this whole idea. And so then we go to do things. They're disunified. They don't work. We're frustrated. So what do we do? Intensify the crusade. This is what fundamentalist Islam thrives on, this kind of thinking. Let's go into a place that's more liberal than us and let's make them fundamentalists. Why? Because that's always good because it's more religious. And it's insane. What crusade was Jesus on? What was his crusade? If you could say, what was it? Rescue. Seek and save the lost. Love God and love your neighbor. Those are the two big points to crusade on. That's not what we crusade on. Even, I mean, I just, I spoke... Um, in another church on Sunday, and it was just interesting to me. I just sat in some of the Sunday school classes to listen what they talk about. <clears throat> what consumes them? What are they getting up in the morning about? And most of it has to do with crusading in the sense of here's what's negative that's happening, and here's what we're doing to fight it like that. And so everything turns into a war. Do you see? It can't. So Jesus is saying here how to end war. Here's what's interesting to me in Acts, which is where we're working through, and I was talking about it just a little bit last week. In Acts, when Pentecost happens and the people, in the, you know, the spirits poured out and Peter and them go out there and they start preaching and everything, and then Peter's challenged on what he's doing, you know, and that it's that they're drunk. And so Peter is going to respond to, we don't understand what's, what you, who you people are and what you do. And so this is what's amazing to me. Peter doesn't offer an explanation for what they're doing. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, let me explain us. Let me explain to you our position on things. That's not what he does. He offers a challenge. It's a very different response to things. I'm not here to explain myself. I'm here to challenge you. That's, and that's how our team operates. So we're doing an evangelism seminar um, on Wednesday this is our second week of it, just a, just a training on, you know, just kind of one-on-one evangelism sorts of things. Um, we call it kingdom sharing. Evangelism's pretty crusade sounding. Evangelize them. What does that mean? Get them, you know, like that. So because I'm, I was speaking last Wednesday on that, I thought, you know, I, I would love just a great experience that happened, like, within the last 24 hours, you know, because... People can talk about 20 years ago or a year ago. But I thought, Lord, you know, it would be awesome if I could just go in and just fresh say, just this morning or just today or whatever, just, just to watch you, watch you work. So when I got up that morning, two, it was actually Tuesday morning, uh, I was reading Psalm 27. So here's what Psalm 27 says, and I think um, this is something that you could really uh, benefit from. It's, one of my, it's my favorite passage probably in the Tanakh. Just, just, you don't have to really look there unless you're spiritual um, <laughs> or a real believer or not backslidden. I was naming teams there for you. <laughs> look at this, f- verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord. Here, this, is, this is a psalm of David. It's, it, it's probably towards the end of his life, if you read it that way, because he talks in 11 about his mother and father being gone 
So it's probably later in his life. He's probably winding it down, and he's reflecting back. I think it's beautiful if you read it that way. But here's, here's what he says, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek and inquire for, and listen, and insistently require. So this is how strongly he says this in the Hebrew. It's not like, I just, I wish. It's like, this is what I'm purposing, and this is what I'm seeking, and this is what I'm insistently seeking, um, that I may dwell in the house in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, you know, we use that verse for a lot of different things. We use it to go to church on Sunday verse. Um, it's way more than that, of course, um, that every day that I would just ev- all the time dwell in the presence, not just the church, but the presence of the Lord. That sounds beautiful. Here's my question. Why? What's the value of dwelling in the presence of the Lord? And he, and he says two things about that, which to me changes your whole life. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To do two things. One, to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord. That's goal number one. To gaze upon his beauty. So what if you got up every day and you committed to the Lord? Lord, I want to dwell in your presence all day. And in that presence, I want to gaze upon your beauty in every way. That means... That in every situation you're in, instead of looking for who's against me, who's on the other team, who's saying the wrong thing, I'm going to look at the beauty that God sees in this. Because you know what? He sees beauty in everything. We, we tend, I mean all of us, tend to look right towards the negative as fast as we can. It's like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that was a bad thing to say, like that. And our imagination, as Isaiah warns us not to do, is fixed on the negative. Yeah. And so in a situation, you know, like if you get an email or something from your boss, I need you in my office in an hour. You tend to go, ah. It's not like, yay, a raise. You know, your brain doesn't automatically think that. Promotion, wow, that's unexpected. We don't think that way. We go right to the negative. It's like, oh, shoot. You know, that's how we operate. So why? Because our minds are not fixed on God. And so we don't, we don't have perfect peace because our mind is not stayed on God. It's stayed on, ah, it's probably going to be negative. But, but that's why David said, but if I dwell in the presence of the Lord and I gaze upon his beauty, everything I'm looking at, I'm saying, Lord, what is beautiful right here? Because I don't see it. But I want to see it because if I can see it, then I'll probably make the right decision. It'll probably be encouraging for someone if I see your beauty in this situation. So that's one thing, to gaze upon his beauty and here's the other one. I like it. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to meditate and consider and inquire in his temple. Number two, so gaze upon his beauty. Number two thing, ask him questions. This is amazing to me that this isn't a regular part of our life. Just asking God questions. Well, what about this? Who was that? What did that, what did that mean? So what we do instead is when we're in a situation... Who do we ask questions to help us understand the situation? Who do we ask questions to? Who do we ask first, always, usually? Ourselves. How can you be the right person to ask? You're asking yourself. That, does that make any... That is the most bizarre, I think, straight out of hell strategy for figuring something out is 
Do you know what's happening? No, then ask yourself. Like, what does that mean? Jamie, what do you think is happening here? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Shoot. <laughs> Must be bad. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, at least we're in agreement. Yep. And it's never going to change, is it? I don't see how. That's called walking side by side with yourself. It's called the disease of introspection. Getting down here is not a good idea unless God himself is taking you down there to search you and to know you and to reveal. Him, he reveals things to you. He doesn't say, Jamie, let's, let's go down and look in your heart. What do you think? And then take what I say. He's like, let me show you something that you have no idea about. And it's something you think and you don't even think you think it. But just like, just like these testimonies, see that person over there? You really don't like them at all. Just that, I'm telling you the truth about this is the way you think. But it's because God is the green light up there. He's outside my car. He's saying, see that person in the intersection? You're going to run right into them, and you don't even see them. Like that. So two things when we dwell in the presence of the Lord all the time is to gaze upon his beauty. God, what in this situation? Where's the beauty in this? And second, to ask him questions, which you're already, already doing when you're asking him, where's the beauty in this situation? So imagine this. So an Israeli official comes to me, our team. It's not just me, believe me, it's our team. And says, here's something we'd like to accomplish. We don't know how to do it. This is the first government person I've met who is looking outside of themselves and their politics and asking someone outside their camp, I'm from way from another team, I'm an evangelical Christian, talking to an Israeli atheist, and they're asking me, what can we do to correct these issues inside of our country? And so here's, who am I going to ask that question to? Me? Well, Jamie, what do you think? I don't know. I have no idea what to tell this person. They asked me, can you help us with this? Here's my answer. Absolutely. Why? Because I dwell in the presence of the living God. And I, I, there's some kind of beauty in the fact that you're asking me this question. And I'm going to find out what it is. How? By asking him questions. And then I'm going to ask him this question. God, what do we do to help them in this situation? And we meditate upon it. And we wake up in the night watches like a deer panting for water and seek God. See, that's not just a memory verse about get up and have a quiet time. How long can you endure that? Get up and have a quiet time. Like a deer panting for water. I'm not a deer. I'm not panting. I don't care about water. I like sleep. You know how you can't just pump yourself up in all this stuff. And then we get discouraged. I'm not having enough quiet times. That's why nothing's happening. It's not like that. It's because we're not, we're not going to God and saying, God, t- explain this to me. I don't understand this in my life. I just don't get it. Use the word for sure. Dig through the word. Let the spirit work in your heart to reveal things to you. Use all of those tools. And as you do that, as you get really good at that, God will start just dropping people in your lap. Because when he does, he'll say, now I'm going to give you this person because I know when I give that person to you, you're going to come ask me about them. And I'll tell you what to do. And see, that works. But if he gives us a person and we won't even come ask him about that person or we don't even see that person, who's he going to give you to talk to? So I get up and I so Lord, you know, talking about evangelism Wednesday night. I'd love, just rem, would you just remind me of your beauty in this? How much you love us communicating with other people about you? Just would you just, 
I just want to dwell in the beauty of that. I don't want to go out and do something. Do you see? I just want to dwell in the beauty of that. And when it happens, and I'm reveling in the beauty, and that person's reveling in the beauty, then I'll start asking you questions. They'll ask me questions. I'll ask you questions. And we'll just have this beautiful conversation. That's how the Spirit does it. Like this. And like Peter, when they ask me questions, I'm not there to explain myself. I'm there to challenge them. Challenge them. Not like challenge them. Let's fight. That's not a challenge. That's a crusade. A challenge is like, why, why are you working here? Why aren't you like that? No, you could be t- like, that's how you talk. And so, th- so I get up and I go. So the closest thing to us is a Starbucks where, because my son, for some reason, he, my son, I, I'm not sure he's my son. He doesn't have cable and he doesn't have a coffee maker. Like what family is he from? So anyway, but there's a Sheraton right there where he lives, and they have a Starbucks. So I just go there. I, you know, it's not like i got to go on a quest to find the person. They're everywhere, if you have noticed. <laughs> They're sort of everywhere around us, people. And so I go to the Sheraton, and I figure, and I tell Don, I was like, there's a Starbucks there. I'm going to go, and I'm going to find someone, and I'm just going to share the kingdom with them. And she says, how long is that going to take? What kind of question is that? I said, well, I, I don't know. If they reject me, I'll be home quickly. If revival breaks out, I'll be living at the Sheraton for the next year. She goes, that's why you want revival, because you want to live in the Sheraton. Yes. I I have some impure motivations. So I go up there, and and there's a girl working at the Starbucks, one one young woman, 25 or something like that. And so when I'm walking in, she's she's off talking to another staff at the Sheraton, and she's speaking Arabic. I was like, Wow. The Lord's going to make this easy on me. And so she comes back, and, and uh, I said, where are you from? She says, Morocco. And I said, oh. I said, are you Christian or Muslim? And she was like, hmm. And she didn't want to answer my question. Now, why? Why did that scare her? Yeah. I already know she's Muslim because she hesitates. If she was a Christian, she would have shot it right at me. Christian. But she, won't, she doesn't want to answer me, so I, I said, I know she's a Muslim. Now, what, now, I also know something else about her. Why is she hesitant? What would cause her to be afraid to tell me who, she, I don't know what she thinks I am. Obviously, I'm not a Muslim. To, to thi- what, what, ha- what would make her hesitant to ask me? Spies. Yeah, spies. What, what m- deep down? Right. Okay, all these things, right, She's just, that I would be suspicious of her immediately, that I'm spying on her, basic, she's afraid of me. There's fear right here, okay, and God is not the author of that stuff. She's afraid of me. How did she become afraid of me? She doesn't know me. She's never met me. How did she become afraid of me? Stereotype, right. Here, here's the thing. Somebody taught her to be afraid of me. Somebody. And I, right away, I want to know who taught you to be afraid of me. You don't even know me. And so she says it, and I said, you're Muslim, aren't you? Then that really scared her. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm not covered, you know. I look, I'm wearing a Starbucks uniform. And I said, you're afraid to tell me that you're Muslim. I'm just curious, why? And she said, well, what do you think of Muslims? And I said, salam alaikum. And she goes, okay, I'll tell you why. She said, two weeks ago in the here, someone came up to me and asked me where I was from. And I said, Morocco. And they asked me if I was a Muslim. And I said, yes. And they, bam, went after me. 
And she told me all the things the person said about what's wrong with Islam and Muslims and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sure that person was a believer of some sort trying to do what God wants them to do. And I'm not saying they didn't. But the result of it was this girl shut down. She shut down because of the teams that were drawn. She didn't draw them. She's responding to them. So I said, I said, well, you know, I don't know who that person is and whatever, but I said, let me just tell you what, what we do. See, now I'm not going to explain myself to her. I'm not going to. But I want to challenge her before I leave because if she's challenged by the time I leave, she'll want me to come back. She'll want someone of us to come back. So that's all I want to do. And the way to challenge, how did Jesus challenge people? What does he do to challenge people? Yeah, he told stories. What does he want the person, they just said at the beginning, what does he want the person to understand about themselves? More than anything else, Jesus does this to people. He wants them to understand that they are way greater than they think. That's how he does it. You, and people that think they're great, what does he want them to understand? You're not. You are not even close to that little kid right there. I promise you. See that woman that gave everything she has? She's far greater than you who think you're rich. So if you think you're great, here's the message of Jesus. You're not. Believe me. <laughs> that's our, our, whenever, we, whenever our team starts to struggle or we get stagnant, here's our first the first thing, where do we think we're better than everybody else? There's some place we think we're smarter, more doctrinally secure, more intelligent than everybody else, and God's shutting us down. He will not tolerate that. Because when you think you're that smart and that great, guess who you ask questions to? Yourselves. Oh, I know that. I read that in the Bible. I know that. You don't. Be humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So humility is the key. But if Jesus was standing there talking to this Moroccan Muslim woman, he would want her to know how much he prizes her identity. Not just that she's Muslim, not just that she's Moroccan, but who she is. This is who he wants to talk to, her, whoever this person is. And so that's who I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to her Moroccanness. That's beautiful, it's fine. I don't want to talk to her Muslimness. That's her culture, whatever. I want to talk to her. Do you see? Because this is where the Spirit of God will work, and this is what will be transformed, and all this will be transformed as a result. This is not where to crusade. This is where to challenge down here. So I start asking her, how long have you been to Starbucks? One year, uh, two years. How long have you been in the U.S.? A year and a half. What's going on? She starts telling me, what do you do? I go to Nova. Why? I want to do this. What did you want to do before you came here? I want to, I, I want to do this now. What, what did you want to do before you came here? This. So how, what's, well, why aren't you going to do that? What happened? What, what about that? And she looks at me and she goes, why do you care about that? And I said, because if God made you, then he has something for you. And the fact that I'm here this morning, maybe I can help you with that. Get to whatever that was that you longed for that the world took away. Which the enemy took from you, robbed from you. And she said, oh. And she said, well, how would you help me? And I said, by helping you know who you really are and why you're not there. And she said, what's your motivation in doing that? And I said, I've got to do an evangelism seminar. And not, you know, I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, need a, I need a story. Come on. No. I said, because I said, I, as a human being, find fulfillment in encouraging and challenging other people. I, it's, I, it's just fulfilling to me. 
And she said, what's your job? And I explained it to her. And I said, let me, let, me, let me ask you a question. If I brought my wife up here tomorrow or whenever, would you sit down with her and let her help you understand who your, what your true identity is and how to get to wherever that is that you gave up on? Would you do that with her? And she said, are you a Muslim? Now, why did she say that? Why would she's never heard a Muslim talk like that? Why did she think I was a Muslim? Right, because I'm trying to help her. She can't, the teams are too... Dis- yeah, right, but see, she doesn't, right, but see, her only reference point to something that's really good, even ideally, is Muslim. The greatest thing a Muslim can say to me is, are you Muslim? Because he's trying to tell me, say the highest thing he can think of, which Christian isn't, so he says Muslim. It's not, he's not asking me, do I believe in Muhammad and all that, he's just asking me, are you of that nature or character or whatever? And I said, no, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. And she said, oh. And I said, will you meet with my wife and study the books with her? Because that's where your identity is, the Bible. What do you think she says? No. She says, yes, I'd love to do that. Okay, why? Why did she say yes? What is she looking for? She was looking for her true identity. Of All of us are. Every human being is in search of that. And we identify each other not by what God identifies us with, but by what we identify each other with. And it causes wars. Or by what the enemy says. You know who that person is? This is how the enemy talks. You know who that is? That's a person that's against what you believe. It's not a human. It's an opponent to what you believe. You must fight them. They must be taken out of the way, out of power, that sort of thing. So in writing a vision statement for the Israeli official that asked me, I did. I wrote it. And I, and I wrote it straight out of Isaiah, the whole thing. I said, Lord, if you were there, what would you say to this Israeli official? And here's what the Lord said. I've already said it to him. <laughs> A lot of times. Say it again. So I thought they revere Isaiah, even if they're secular. So I took Isaiah chapter 6, you know, Isaiah in the temple, and I wrote a three-part vision. First, Israel's got to look up. They have to look up. They've got to be stop being so self-absorbed and self-focused. And the whole world's against them. And the whole world should help them because the whole world has hurt them. And it's all about us. This is how they do it. They have to look up. And I wrote, I, I quoted Isaiah and I said, now here's three practical ways for your country to look up. And here's where we can help you look up. Second, you have to look inward and admit what's wrong. The U.S. could probably use these two, I thought. <laughs> you have to look inward and admit what's wrong. You have to allow yourself to be searched by somebody else, not yourself. Stop asking yourselves questions that you yourselves can't answer. And I, so when, then you know, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And then, the, and then the angel comes out and purifies them. And then the last verse, the third part, Now be a light to the nations. Now be what you're supposed to be, a light to the nations. And I sent it to them. What, what do you think? And I, every, every one of them I gave practical steps of here's, what, here's how we can help you as believers. We can help you do this. None of it, all of it was practical, not just, you know, we, you can come to our church. And then, the, and then you can come to our church. Like, not like that, but here's, we can do this and then this, and, and we can take this step, and we can do this step with the police department, and we can do this step with social services, all of these things. Um, and, they, and so they called me. We did a big phone conference. 
And they said, yes, this is what we need. We agree. This is what we want to do. Will you, and not me, will me and who I represent, will you lead us in these things? Okay? And we said, of course, yes, we will. So that's one of my jobs in the States right now is to develop that team. So if I didn't do that in the Starbucks, I couldn't do it on the level that we're doing it with Palestine and Israel. Do you see? God's, if I can look at that girl and say, here's one thing I know God wants you to know besides the fact that he loved you and he died for you, you're way more than you think you are. Like that. And then we're, our, our function as believers is to help you get to that point. People respond, I'm telling you, like you wouldn't believe. It's not hard. It doesn't matter whether they're Muslim. It just doesn't matter. So here's just one last thought, and I'll stop. In, the, in Acts, you really get the idea of salvation from Luke in, in uh, what Peter's saying. Um, so I just made a note here. Luke introduces the idea of salvation not simply going to heaven when you die. It's the word rescue is here. You know, the people say, what should we do? And, and Peter says, be rescued. That's what I'm saying to this girl. Do you want to be here your whole life doing this? Be rescued into the kingdom. What's in the kingdom? Everything that, is, that you ever dreamed of. Not in terms of prosperity, just everything that's fulfilling to you as a person, you. And for you to lay hold of that for which Christ died for you. That's the kingdom. So not simply going to heaven when you, die, when you die, but knowing God's rescuing power, the power revealed in Jesus, which anticipates in the present God's final great act of deliverance. It is a present reality as well as a future hope. The present reality is you can be rescued right now. From what? From everything. Do you see? Not just hell. You shouldn't even have that concept in her brain. From this, from this failure, from this dream's not going to happen. Be rescued. We can show you the way. We know how to do it. If you can do that, you practice in Starbucks so God can put you in front of kings. They're all the same to God, you know. She's just as important as Israel. It's fascinating. So that's that's my challenge this morning to you. I'm going to stop. Ask me any questions you want. I, I want to make sure I can answer anything. It doesn't matter what it's about. You can ask me anything you want. Um, but I challenge you to, to look up and live here, live intentionally in the presence, looking at God's beauty, asking Him questions every day, all day. And I'm telling you, your life will just change. It just will change. And it just goes like this, like this. Failures, disasters, all those things are all there involved. But it's just so different when you're like, what's the beauty in this horrible situation? Lord, where's the beauty in this? And when you can show a person the beauty in a situation that they're pretty sure is hell, they'll, they'll follow you because you're the only one that's going to do it to them. I promise you. No one else will. Not. If you think you're nothing, you're not. Yeah. If you... If, if you w- I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing certain people to be a part of this initiative we're doing in Israel. Here's our two, quali- here's our two ca- uh, qualities that we're looking for. Quality number one, above everything else, humility. Humility. We have to have humility because humility is just God's way of doing things. It's how he does things. If you come into a situation with a person that's 
that's hesitant to tell you where they struggle or where their country struggles. And if you come in and you're going to be the one that's going to save them, God's not going to use you. He won't do it because they will shut down on you immediately. As soon as they sense that pride, that like, oh, you think you know more than I do. In fact, they said to me the other day when I was in the conference call, they said, they said I, I want to quote them. They said, whenever you, this is what they like. Whenever you talk to us about things that we don't know and we know we don't know, you don't say to us we don't know them. But you let us know that you'll help us because you know the answer. Do you understand that? That they love that. So, but if I came in and said, okay, here's where you're wrong. Let me just tell you where you're wrong. Let's get that. That's it. You're done. But if you're coming in and they show you a problem and you go, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Mm. You know what? Here's something we've tried in that situation. Then it's God's idea. Do you see? It's not Jamie's idea or Christianity's idea or something like that. But it's, so, so if you think of, whenever Jesus is talking to people, he's always looking at the person going, who do you think you are? Tell me who you think you are. And the person responds, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm not a good wife. I'm a prostitute. I'm a, you know, I'm a fish. I'm just a fisherman. And he says, oh, no, you're way more than that. If you follow me, I'll show you what you really are because it's way more than that. And then he asks them this question, who do you think I am? And they go, well, you're a prophet. You're, you know, John the Baptist raised. You're blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, I'm way more than that. If you follow me, I'll show you I'm way more than that. Because we're all freaked out. Oh, they just think he's a prophet. Well, what else are they going to think? They haven't followed him. What else are they going to come up with? Let's follow him and see what, he, see what they come up with. So Jesus is always saying, you're way more than you say you are, and I'm way more than you say I am. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. But if Jesus comes to you and says, who do you think you are? And they, and they say, we think we're greater than you. Oh, oh. oh boy, game over. So humility is number one. Here's the second quality that we have to have in the people that work with us. You have to be able to hear from God. And I don't care what you think about that. That has to be part of your daily life. The reason is the problems are... Any, any diplomatic person, any, any person working in any kind of overseas political, the problems are so complex and as far as I know, you can't just flip open a Bible verse and quote it to them and it works. But, but there, the answer is Jesus. But it's Jesus in a way that I haven't thought of yet exactly. And so that's the beauty of inquiring of the Lord. And, and, and David says down here, um, verse 8, he says, You have said, he's saying to God, You have said, seek my face, inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. My heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, I will seek and inquire for you. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, cast me not off, neither forsake me, O my God of salvation. He's saying that here, O Lord, when I cry aloud, have mercy and be gracious to me. The Lord is saying, seek me, seek me, seek me, seek me. Why? So I can respond to you, so I can answer you. So those two qualities, humility and the ability to hear and interact with God pretty quickly. Those are, and you know what? It's very difficult to find. Very hard to find. Yes? Mm -hmm. What would you say to a mother who's lost her child in, in Oklahoma? That's a great question. Here, what, did you hear that? What would I say to a mother who's just lost their child in Oklahoma? I'm sorry. I don't, what else would I say? I don't know. I'm sorry. 
well, I don't know the answer. See, in humility, I don't know the answer. I can say, well, I'm a Christian. I better have an answer. That's nonsense. I might tell her, you know, if, I, if, if it was me, I would this like, what, you know, when our, our, I was the team leader of a team in Iraq, in Baghdad, and on my team, five of our people were killed in one day, our team, all young, single college kids. And I had to call each parent and say, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that your son and daughter or daughter was killed in a horrible terrorist attack in an intersection. And they're, what am I going to say to them? Now, and the surviving part of our team, what do I say to them? Here's the question God almost never answers. I don't know if he ever answers this question. Why? He doesn't an- ever answer that question. He, he doesn't seem to feel the need to answer that question. Here's the question he always answers. What do you want me to know about what just happened? He loves that question. So if I was encouraging them, I don't know the answer. But if I was encouraging them, I would say, here's what I would ask God, though. What do you want me to know? Show me the beauty in that one. And then lead me on, because I'm going to dwell in your presence, and I'm going to ask you questions about this. Most people just do why, 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 instead of, Lord, what do you want me to know about what just happened? If you ask that question, you get his direction. He's not up there to, he's not defending himself. He's not up there explaining himself. He's challenging us. Do you see? So that's in every tragedy, even when a person's sick and we're praying for them to get well. Lord, what do you want them to know about this cancer? I don't know. How would I know? I'm not a prophet. And then the Lord explains it to him, not why, what he wants them to know about what's happening. And that, because that's where he's going to be glorified. It's very different than the why. Does that make sense to you? I could give you, I can tell you a lot of stories about that happening, but um, yes, sir. Right. Right. Uh, you're, if you think you're not great, you're not right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't use a double negative like that. Yeah, you're, yeah. Yes, sir. See, that's what I get for trying to be grammatically clever. I just lose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I simply. I mean, I can also talk to you longer about this. But if 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 a, if anyone on our team says, you know, I feel screwed up, okay, I w- my question to be how, in what, tell me, what, in what way, where, are you screwed up? Don't don't answer me. We're not. <laughs> I don't want. You look like you're getting ready to confess something huge. Don't <laughs> turn the tape off. I'm not enticing you. Um, yeah, just uh, uh, the key. The key is to get God, to ask God to explain these things to you. Like when you say, I'm screwed up, who told you that? Don't answer me again. The question is, who told you you're screwed up? When Adam and Eve fail in the garden, they're screwed up. But when God goes to talk to them and they're hiding from them, they say, you know, we're hiding because we're afraid. They, They have shame, guilt, and fear. This is the root of anyone being screwed up. Shame, guilt, and or fear. That's always the root of everything. Um, and so, and they, and they tell God this. We were ashamed, we're afraid, and th- we're hiding because we're guilty. 
and because we're naked. The funny thing is, they've been naked the whole time. Now suddenly it's a bad thing. Why? God says, here's his question to him. Who told you that? What he's saying to them is you're now asking a different source to define things for you. And that is where you're screwed up. Not in the things, in who you're listening to. Most people are trying to stop things in their life instead of saying, just who do I listen to every day? And we listen to the enemy. You know, it's a, the Muslims have a saying, it's from the Quran, they say, Satan longs to be your sincere advisor. That's their story of the fall. And, all the, and it's, what all it means is that when, when I'm in a situation, who's telling me what's happening? Is it me? Then I don't know anything. Is it the enemy? Then it's going to be negative. And if it's God, there will be beauty, even in Oklahoma. But if I go to the enemy and say, what just happened? The enemy says, God left you. What does it look like? Look at the facts. He left you. He hurt you. And a lot of people will say, I see. You're right. And they will hide from God and they will run from God. Be out of fear. Now they're afraid. God's just this random God that sends giant two-mile tornadoes and kills my family. Guilt or shame. I couldn't protect my family. I, I, if I walked closer with God, maybe this wouldn't have happened to me. All these lies. But when you go to the source of truth, and this is really important, the Bible doesn't say if you academically can say truth, it will set you free. It says if you know truth, if you know and experience truth, not you can spout it. If you know and experience truth, it'll set you free. So most times when people are asking me questions like, you know, um, most people talk negatively about themselves. That's a very good way to share your faith. It seems like, why do you, you just said five negative things about yourself. Why? Or I'll say to a believer, everything you've told me in the last five minutes comes straight out of hell. Comes straight out of Satan's mouth. Why do you say that stuff about yourself? God never talks about a person like you just talked about yourself. You're not listening to him, apparently. That, that's, that would be how I'd go. God, how, in what, list, tell, what, what do you want me to know about this? What do you, I feel like a failure here. What do you say about that? I know what I say. I know what Satan says. What do you say? God very rarely walks around to humble people and goes, you know what? You're a failure. Almost never. Unless you think you're great. Then you're a fa- he will tell you. So don't be discouraged. But just listen to the truth. Don't listen to lies. Yes? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, and that's not an easy question, but I, here's what I would think. If, if you're committed to wiping out something that's ungodly, whatever, whatever it is that you're passionate about, if you're passionate about a cause, <clears throat> be passionate about it because God puts that in your heart to be passionate. Be as passionate as you can about, about it. But here's the thing. Ask God these three questions. When you're preparing to act against whatever it is, I'm against terrorism. If I wasn't against terrorism, I wouldn't live where we live. If I, if I was against terrorism but di- didn't really care, I'd live here. You know, or I'd, or I'd and just talk th- about being against it. Or I'd li- but if I really was, I'd live here and I'd get a job that helps stop it somewhere. You know, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Or I'd move. That's the part about I'm not, I'm not just going to say I'm against it and not, you know, but I don't really care. You know, as long as I don't see them kind of thing. So, but three questions to ask God. These are the questions David asked God. 
about when he was going to engage the enemy. Here's his number one question. I love this. Should I do it? Isn't that interesting? Should I go? Like, I see a battle coming. I see a battle forming. I want to go engage it. Should I? How often do we ask God that question? It's like, okay, I feel like I need to go do something against poverty or against homelessness or against moral issues, you know, homosexuality and the Boy Scouts and all these sorts of things. First is, should I even go to fight it? Okay, now that's, we're always praying against this stuff. I'm not talking about that part. Is there an active thing I should go do? Second one is, will I win? Isn't that interesting that David would ask God, will I win? Why do you think he asked that? Uh, Yeah, I know. I don't know. I kind of, you know, we are going to win this, aren't we? You know, if we do this, if I write this proposal to Israel, they are going to like it, aren't they? I don't know. It's just an interesting question. Will I win? I like it. We ask that all the time. Here's this third question, and the one that always is the best. How should I go? How should I go? That's not a question we're asking God in this country, I'm telling you. We're not asking. We, we have in our heart, we, okay, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. We're going to fight it. We're going to start right now, and here's how we're going to do it. None of that involves God. That's all just moralism. Any moralist can do that stuff. That's not the spirit engaging. And every time David asked, how shall I go into the battle, it, the answer was different. You know why? Because God is unique. He's not a robot up there going, here's the way. Here's the way. You got it? Now don't ask me again because now you have it. Nonsense. Should I go? Will I win? How should I go? And then here's the other thing about David's life. Every time the chapter starts with this phrase, and David thought to himself, he loses. Every, not only does he lose, he goes into becoming almost a lunatic where his own men want to kill him. If, if, you're, if your congregation is rising up to stone you, you're off base probably in something. And they're weeping out of misery because it's so horrible. But every chapter that starts with this phrase, and David inquired of the Lord, he wins. One is looking up. One is looking down. See? So that's how I would do that. I would say, Lord, what I would even, we're, we're doing this in a couple of places. I would even say, Lord, as a church, as Reston Bible Church or wherever you go, what is our mission? What, what are, you know, churches are like parts of the big body. Like some churches are really good at some things and some churches aren't good at some things. But all churches feel like they've got to be all good at all things. Where do we get that from? Who came up with that model? There's a lot about that we could change. But what's our church? What does our church do, and how should we do it? That would be a good question all the time. That's a good personal question, and when, if it's personal, it just goes out like this. If you're not doing it here, if it doesn't work here, it's not going to work with 5,000 people. We had a long discussion yesterday um, with a church group from another state, and their, que- their question was to me was, and our team is, we feel like we've lost our vision. How do we get it back? And now they're a big, big church. But you can tell they were going like this, and they just went, and they're just plateaued out, and they know it. And no matter what they do, who they bring in, they're just plateaued out. And uh, I said, you know, simply, what was your original passion, and how do you get back to it and simplify it? Keep it simple. This is what we do, like this, and do it. And then in my own life, Lord, what do I do? What is it that I do? Am I doing it? Yes. Okay, how do I do it 
the way you want it? How do I do it better? How's the enemy working against it? Am I doing it? No. Why? Because I tried and I failed. Okay, ask, what do you want me to know about that failure? Do it again. Ask for the years the locusts have eaten away. Ask for them back and do it again. Don't quit. Don't give the enemy that and say, well, that's just the way that is. It's not the way it is. Do it again. I don't care if it's been five years, 50 years. Do it again. Ask for it back. Anyway, a lot of stories about that. So that's, how, that's what I would do. That's what I would suggest. Anything else? Because we need to stop. Yes, sir. Yeah. And I went to a prep school, and the priest in the prep school said, don't do it, because you won't understand it, listen to watch, we'll tell you what it is. Yeah. So, I've so, never been to a Baptist church that talks like that. Yeah. So, so that's my question yeah. again, falls back on the people that you interface with. If they have a better understanding of that dilemma, perhaps we would have, if we ever interface with a Muslim and try to talk about <laughs> our book versus yeah. their knowledge and their belief and their understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just simply, I'll say, I would say, on the average, we're all e- equally ignorant. The key, to, the key, of course, is the Word of God. That's the key to everything. Um, a Muslim, do they know the Quran or not? It's about the same as Christians. No. They're, they listen to what they're told and just go by the big thinkers of their denomination or whatever. And they'll quote people just like we would, would, would say, or MacArthur says that, or Piper says that. And those are more of who we know than, oh, God says that kind of thing for me like that. So... The, the answer to all those questions is always to bring everyone back to the Bible, for sure. Yeah. Okay, thanks.